Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manesh. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the show, Omar Khan. Thanks, Victor. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on your show. Great to have you here. Now, Omar, you come from a different world, the world of the stock market, world that often real estate investors are a little bit wary of. Why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Victor. My, my story is the exact opposite of most real estate investors. I come from the stock and options world. I graduated in the late 90s and I started working in the industry. And 2008, 2009, there was a massive financial crash, as I'm, I'm sure your uh, listeners are aware of. And my net worth got reduced significantly because I had all my assets into the stock market. Now, that was a temporary phenomenon. Obviously, it did recover, which is great. However, it taught me a valuable lesson that no investment category, as much as we want to believe it is, or as much as we are blind or biased to it, no investment category is perfect. So I decided to say, hey, I clearly don't know enough about real estate. I should have real estate holdings in my overall portfolio. And then I educated myself on real estate. So from 2010 to about 2020, I wound up buying a bunch of real estate. I wound up buying, I had 37 properties last year and I reduced it a bit. So I've sold some single family homes off. So I had 70 some odd units and I actually more than 70 some odd units. Some of them are are multifamilies. The process that I learned was simple, that there is no investment category that's perfect. So I come from the stock world. I moved to the real estate world. Obviously, I continue with the stock market and options market as well. And then in 16 months ago, I started a company that teaches people how to invest the stock market in a responsible manner. So that's my story. Very interesting. Very interesting. So you came from the world of not just buying long in the stock market. You also came from the options market, which is not well understood by a lot of investors. People don't necessarily know how to buy when the market's going up or when the market's going down, but it's certainly possible in the world of options trading to make money in both realms as well as maybe even being the originator of an option, someone writing an option. Correct. So as you took that knowledge into the world of real estate investing, what was it about that perspective that maybe gave you an additional edge, if at all, in the world of real estate investing? Well, real estate investing is a more of a surefire investment and in a sense that it's more predictable because of the leverage aspect, okay? So I found that real estate is great for wealth creation, and it's phenomenal for wealth creation because, again, of the leverage ratio, right? It is poor for cash flow, especially in today's environment. So cash flow is what's fun. Cash flow is what allows us to live a fun and exciting life or to do some of the things we want to because, although, yes, you can look at I was looking at a property of mine a couple of days ago. It's, it's a larger site. It doesn't have a lot of properties on it, but it's up for redevelopment. So it's worth a ton of money, but there's no real tangible benefit to me. Great, it's creating wealth, but it doesn't create cash flow. So I found that mixing the two together allowed me to be able to decipher which is more uh, enticing at the moment. Let's say, for example, if there's more opportunity in real estate or if there's more opportunity in the stock market, I'm able to allocate assets and resources back and forth as I see fit, simply because I have an understanding of both worlds. And there's very few people actually understand both worlds. And I would encourage your listeners, not to just brush the stock market off. Consider how many wealthy people have been created from the stock market. You know, the greatest investor of all time, uh, Warren Buffett, entirely off the stock market. That's not an accident. There's a methodology behind that. And that's my answer. Well, make a bit of a distinction between what is called the stock market versus buying companies. And they may sound different, 
but they, I think they're, or they may sound similar, but they're actually, in my mind, quite different. When you're buying companies, you're buying into a business, you're buying into a story, you're buying into a market opportunity, usually based on fundamentals. Whereas when I hear people talking about trading in the stock market, I hear things about resistance points. I hear technical language that talks about market sentiment. And the fact is, there is no, the market is not this superhuman thing that has a personality. And yet we speak of it in those terms. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of speculators in the market that don't buy stocks and companies, like you said, for the right reasons. They'll buy them for very short-term basis, on a very short-term basis, you know, from a day to like two days to a few hours. That is, again, is not, that's not investing. That is simply trading. That is not what I do. Uh, I invest. And I agree with you. You buy into companies that you believe their long-term story on based on fundamentals. So if you like a company, let's say just hypothetically, a company like Apple, and you believe in their future. Well, if you buy their stock and you hang on to it for a while, you should be justly rewarded. Tesla is a prime example of that this year. It's up over 700% since the beginning of 2020. So there are companies you know, that, that do extraordinarily well. And that's the difference between buying a company right, and buying into a business as opposed to trading stocks. Those are very different concepts. Yeah? Well, so... Let's look at the Tesla example specifically. I mean, today Tesla's trading at 1,600 times earnings. Yeah, it's astronomical. Price to earnings multiple basis. So I'm certainly not willing to wait 1,600 years to make my investment back. That's certainly buying at a premium by any measure. So in fact, about this time last year, I had a conversation with a senior executive from Goldman Sachs, and he shared with me something I'd already heard from multiple places that... 90% of the volume on the New York Stock Exchange is actually program trading. This is the quants, the guys that are the analysts that are trying to come up with better algorithms at Goldman Sachs, trying to beat out the guys at Merrill Lynch, trying to beat out the guys at Chase, and so on. And all of these guys are trying to compete against each other to get the very best algorithm. And 90% of the volume is just algorithms fighting against each other to try and squeeze out a few micro cents on each trade on huge volumes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So when the when that much of the market and much, that much of the volume in the market is represented by just people trying to perform arbitrage in one form or another, that doesn't feel like investing any longer. That just feels like playing a computer game. It's like p playing Fortnite or playing Call of Duty or something like that just to see who can win. Except it's with real dollars and it's playing with real people's real livelihoods and pensions and all the rest. Uh, so it, it's a game and it ceases to be a game at the same time. That's correct. Anywhere Studies have shown anywhere from 50 to 90% of trading on the markets now are, is algorithmic or computerized trading. So you're, yes, you're absolutely right. There's a quote by Warren Buffett, which kind of sums this up. In the short term, the stock market is a popularity contest. In the long run, it's a weighing machine. Yes, although there have, you might have, let's say, 70, 80, 90% of trading that's done right now, arbitraging, and just trying to scalp out a few cents here and there and really not providing any value except for mass liquidity. They are not people who are investing in companies long-term. They don't really care about the earnings of that company. So they're not in it for that reason. In the long run, regardless of algorithmic trading or not algorithmic trading, companies are rewarded based upon their corporate earnings. It's as simple as that. If you're not looking at those short-term fluctuations and variations where that could happen in the very near term, a few days at a time, and you have a longer term horizon, you're doing these for the right reason. Buying solid companies with solid growth 
solid earnings that you plan to hold or you don't mind holding, that becomes a winning formula, in my opinion. Very different way of investing. One is a, one is a simple short-term arbitrage trading, as you described. The other is a long-term systematic approach based on corporate earnings and growth. So you talked a little bit about moving money between the stock market and real estate and having the skill to be able to do both. What conditions are you looking for that would have you swing money in one direction or another? Yeah, it's a great question. Simple, in my opinion, you look at if you when you understand both asset categories, you can say, okay, our job as investors is to allocate resources where we see best fit. Where am I going to get the most amount of return for the least amount of risk? Okay. So if I look at the real estate market now versus the way I looked at it 10 years ago when I first started investing, when I started investing 10 years ago, the numbers made a lot more sense. I could buy a property and cash flow nicely with a 20% down payment. Now with that same 20% down payment, the cash flow simply is not there and you're squeezing it in. You're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and you're buying things for, oh, it's going to go up in value. To me, that becomes a hope, right? I, I never like to buy real estate for the, for the assumption of capital appreciation down the road because to me, that's an assumption. Yes, it most likely will occur, but again, it's an assumption. I'd like to buy real estate for cash flow. When I look at the opportunities in the real estate market right now, in a low interest rate environment with cap rates compressed the way they are, there's not a lot of wiggle room for error. There's not a lot of, in my opinion, upside due to the fact of how much lower can rates go, right? And we're not cash flowing. So then if I know this, then I'm able to allocate capital to the stock market. Now, if the stock market becomes a bit frothy and the real estate market retracts a bit or rates go up a bit, or maybe you get a lot more inventory in the market, then that might become more attractive. But understanding how to allocate capital back and forth becomes a very valuable skill to have. I'm going to offer a little bit of a dissenting view on, on this uh, from the perspective that what you're saying is true in some segments of real estate. So, for example, the retail market, if you're playing in the same pond as, let's say, the retail home buyer, you're competing against home buyers that are buying their, their family homestead. That's absolutely true. Prices are high. People are paying prices based on what they can afford based on low interest rates. If interest rates go up, affordability is going to go down, prices are going to go down. That's clear. There's a link between valuation and interest rates. In the world of multifamily investing, that's a slightly different animal. You're dealing with long-term rates. You're dealing with long-term investments. You're dealing with a product that is not going to really fluctuate that much. Rents aren't going to go up and down based on interest rates. Rents are based on what's happening in the marketplace. And this is not speculation. Those transactions are settling each and every month. So it's not the situation where you have someone's house down the street that went up by 100 grand and you, now everybody thinks their house is worth 100 grand more. You haven't gone through that price discovery on your own property to know that to be true. But if you've got a 100 unit building, it's been renting at 1500 a month every month, you've got 1200 data points in a year to show that that transaction settled each and every month. So there's much less speculation as far as that goes. And the valuation of that property is simply based on multiples of net income. It's not based on market appreciation. So I'd kind of take a little bit of a different view when it comes to real estate investing. Would you agree with me on this though? If you look at cap rates, can cap rates compress further? So if I look at my multifamilies, okay, and if I were to put them on the market right now, and if I were to be looking at the buyer objectively right now, and I see cap rates of three to five to four, you know, three to four percent on a multifamily, to me that doesn't make logical sense. I agree. Cap rates I are agree. so low right now; they, they're not going to compress further because rates probably are not going to decline any further because barely, there's no wiggle room. So what I mean is, do I want to allocate my resources into a multifamily right now? 
And when I got a cap rate, let's say I'm, I'm buying a cap rate, uh, a property on a cap rate, and the cap rate is, let's say, 4%. How much more room do I have here? It's a 3.5%. How much more room do I have here? I have to hope for a couple of things. Either I have to hope for that I can either increase, get some of the tenants out, renovate some of the units, increase the rents, therefore increasing my operating, operating income. Or I have to hope that I can increase the rents over the years, therefore, again, increasing my net operating income. Because what I'm not going to be able to count on is I'm not going to be able to count on further cap rate compression based on declining rates. That is my concern with the multifamily. And I completely agree with you. On the single family and the, the single family home market, you look at whatever comparable home, maybe it's completely illogical. Whatever comparable home is selling for some sort of emotional connection to a single family home, the numbers don't make sense. But they also are not making the most sense to me right now in the multifamily space as well, work or mixed space because of the low rate environment. And again, if I look at where cap rates are in Hamilton, Ontario, I'm speaking specifically of Hamilton, they don't make sense. Uh, That's my opinion. I certainly see lots of examples in many markets where deals that are getting done don't make sense to me either. They, They don't pencil. What I see that does make sense, which is where we're focused, if let's say I could build brand new product at the equivalent of, let's say, a 7 or 8% cap rate, and it's trading in the market at 6%, I'll do that deal all day long. Oh, I agree with you. That's a great deal. Because you have value-add there, right? The construction process is your value-add. Exactly right. Exactly right. So even today, you go into an expensive market like Toronto, Ottawa, if you can build at the equivalent of a 5% cap rate, and if the institutional buyers are buying at four and a quarter or even lower, I feel uncomfortable with that because those numbers are starting to get into kind of rarefied air. They don't feel very real to me. Right. But if I can still build at a discount to what the institutional market is trading at, I have a little bit of cushion. And by the way, I don't have to sell. I've got a property that will pencil and it's going to make sense on its own merits and it's going to be cash flow positive and all of that sort of stuff because otherwise it doesn't make sense to do the project. Totally agree. Right. It really comes down to doing your underwriting. It, it, just because the market has gotten a little bit frothy doesn't mean that you as an investor should lower your standards and go to where the market has gone, even if the market is... It's like saying, all right, you know, Tesla's trading at 1,600 times earnings. I guess that's where the market is. That's where I'll buy it. I don't think that makes sense. If you are a fundamentals trader, a fundamentals investor, then you've got to stick to your fundamentals, stick to your rules, and you may only buy a stock that's trading at 10 times earnings, and maybe it's uh, five times forward earnings if it's growing, then you're getting a good deal. If you're simply buying at a premium to the market because everyone else is doing it, it's a little bit of lemming theory saying, well, we'll all jump off the cliff together. I totally agree with you. Now, if, if you look at, let's examine multifamily, okay, right now. If I were to examine multifamily right now, like I closed on two multifamilies this year. Now, if I examine, and this is before, I, in my opinion, prices went a bit nutty. Now, if I look at that same property now, and I look at the underwriting process and the amount of down payment that I have to come up, my down payment is going to be excess of 40% of the actual value because of the low uh, cap rate. Now, that being said, I have to look at that 40% in absolute dollar terms. What is my rate of expected rate of return on this? Okay. And can I allocate this capital in a more efficient manner? What I'm saying is when you understand both asset categories, you'll know when to be able to allocate resources back and forth. Right now, to me, a a 40% down payment for a multifamily with not a whole lot of upside because, again, of interest rates and whatnot, it becomes dicey. It becomes, like you said, it's a bit frothy. However, if you're going to construct, absolutely, because there's a value add that you're putting in there. But then we have to look at, we're examining apples to oranges. 
One is an active investment where you're actually working in on development. I've gone through that process. It's a harrowing process. Going back and forth to City Hall and working with contractors and getting all the, the, the paperwork. It's even when you have a full-time assistant, it's still a pain, a pain. So I asked myself, okay, do I want an active investment? Which is, you're right, you can construct and you can construct at a six or a seven and sell it for, let's say, a little bit lower than that five or a four. There's, there's a great value out there. Absolutely. But let's say I don't want to be actively involved in this. Let's say I don't want to spend I, this. That's a full-time job in itself. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. See, my view is there's no such thing as a passive business. These are all active businesses. You have the choice of making a passive investment in an active business, but they're all active businesses. Even owning a rental portfolio is still an active business. Yeah, it's an active business. As much as we try to automate it, like I have a full-time uh, assistant who just does my rental properties and I keep acquiring them. And it's still a full-time business for me. I got a full-time property manager. It's still a lot of work. It's As much as I try to automate it, it's a lot of work. And I've done the whole BR format that I've done all that stuff. I just Now I just simply try to acquire and sit on it because it's a good store of wealth and it's great wealth creation, again, because of leverage ratio. But to say that there's no other way for me to allocate my capital, I, that I disagree with. When one fully understands the stock and option market, you'll know where the opportunity exists on either side. Well, Omar, if uh, folks want to learn more, if they want to connect, what's the best way? Uh, we run a company called Theta Trading. So a bit about my background. I used to teach just friends and family over the years how to invest in the stock market. And I'd done that for a number of years. I taught about 100 friends and family over the year. And it got to the point where it became ridiculous. Like so many people were bothering me. Like I was taking up half my week. And I'm like, I can't do this. So 16 months ago, myself and my best friend, and we've both been trading for 20 plus years, we opened up this company. Theta trading because it's the exact education we would have wanted when we entered the stock market 20 some odd years ago when we were kids. And in the first 16 months, we've had about almost a thousand students that we've taught. 65% of our students are real estate investors. To tell you how much real estate investors are gravitating towards us, because once you understand the concept of options and how they work, you understand how powerful they can be in terms of generating return. So yeah, thetatradingco.com would be the place you can look into us, take a look at our reviews and what people have to say about us. I I would highly encourage people uh, not to just brush it off. And there are plenty of people who have made plenty of money off the stock market. And there's a reason for that. It's not because of luck. It's because they have a defined methodology. They know what they're doing. It's simply a fact of knowledge. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you, Omar, for the perspective and for the listeners at home. Definitely check out thetatradingco.com. That's T-H-E-T-A tradingco.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.